Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Armchair Booking Wrestling Podcast. I'm the host. My name is Steve, and my co-host Kyle. He will be joining us momentarily. And tonight, once he joins, you know, or I could talk about it. Uh, I could actually start it before he was able to join us. We are going to be talking about the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors. As all wrestling fans are aware, uh, we lost Road Warrior Animal Joe Laurinaitis uh, this past week. He was 60 years old, and he had just tweeted, you know, the, the day before, happy anniversary to his wife, and that was the last thing he tweeted, and he went to sleep, and he passed away in his sleep. But uh, we we're going to pay tribute to him and Hawk. Hawk left us in 2003, and we we're going to talk about their career, you know, the actual impact they had on wrestling, especially tag team wrestling. Um and how they how high they really set the bar, you know, for tag teams and the entire sport. Uh, in the meantime, if you would like to contact us for any reason, email us at armchairbookingpodcast at gmail dot com. You can get us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash armchairbookingpodcast. We're on Twitter at booking armchair. We're on iHeartRadio, we're on Apple Podcasts, and most recently we got on Spotify. So please, by all means, reach out to us, give us your feedback, give us some suggestions. We would love to hear it, even if it's just criticism, if you tell us there's something we need to do better. Can't, can't get better if we don't know. So absolutely, we would love to hear from you. And especially some of our, we have fans apparently in the UK, which makes me happy because I used to live there. So tell us where you're from. You know, so that way you may have we may have actually been neighbors. If you lived in around Norfolk, around Norwich, Thetford, that area, hit me up. So anyway, uh before I start, I am going to go ahead and take a commercial break. And we are back. And the Legion of Doom, also known as the Road Warriors, just a devastating tag team. Everywhere they went, they won titles. Everywhere they went, they caused destruction. Everywhere they went, they got respect of the fans. They got the respect of the wrestlers. And one interesting bit of trivia, because of their theme music, they actually... Uh, taught me who Black Sabbath was. You can't get away with playing um, music now that's licensed without actually having to pay. But back in the day, back when they first started, nobody was paying because nobody was really paying attention. But nowadays, with wrestling being as big as what it is, being on national networks, being on uh, terrestrial networks, not just cable, people know about when they why their songs are being used. But but as we are waiting for Kyle also, I mean I just I do want to express my condolences to the Laurinaitis family because Animal, you know, he was uh married, he had uh two kids, one of which was uh James Laurinaitis who played football at Ohio State 
He won the Bronco Nagurski Award, I believe, in his junior year. And then he was later on drafted by the Rams. He played for the uh, St. Louis Rams for a few years. And then he ended up going to the New Orleans Saints, played with them for a few years, and now he's actually uh, done with pro football. So, obviously, the the pedigree actually runs pretty strong in that family as far as athletics, and actually the hard work and determination it takes to get to that level. And before I go into too much details, um, if you have never actually seen the DVD set that the WWE put out uh, in around 2004, 2005 about the Road Warriors, I would highly suggest you go watch it because it it's basically an interview with Animal. It, um, and when he talks about their origins, how they met, because apparently he and Hawk, Michael Hextran, it sounds like they actually met each other in Chicago, but then later both moved to Minneapolis independently. But I've also heard that's that was Animal K. Fabian as well. And either way, um, Michael Hextran, Hawk, he was actually a few years older than Animal, but they were both big workout junkies. And when I say these guys could lift, they were putting up numbers that most human beings couldn't even think about. At one point, I know I I read one of the magazines that actually had their real weightlifting stats. Hawk was bench pressing around 585, Animal was bench pressing around 6.30. And that's really the only numbers I remember because that, that seems to always be the um, the gold standard as far as lifting goes. Well, how much can you bench? Well, they were putting up a lot. Now, Animal was actually the stronger of the two, but Hawk's physique was actually the better cut. You know, he had the better definition on his. And they were trained by a man named Eddie Sharkey, um, along with um, Barry Darso. I believe Rick Rude was also part of that, uh, that crew that was training with them. And as a side gig, they worked at a bar named Grandma B's, and they were bouncers. I certainly would not want to mess around and get thrown out of a bar by them because they might just break your face on the way out. That wouldn't be good. So, uh, then later on, Hawk actually went to Canada, and he was wrestling under the name, it was Crusher something. And while I'm, I'm waiting for Kyle to be able to join us. Kyle's here. here. Kyle is here. Fantastic. Thank you, Kyle. So, Steve, when you mention competition bench presses, that is not a bounce-off-the-bar bench. They're rumored to pause the bench on their chest and press that amount of weight. Really? Trust me, as someone who's doing this himself, 
that is very difficult to generate that much power from a dead stop off your chest. Well, here, I'm about to kind of put you on the spot just to um, give somebody an idea on how much, you know, this weight is. Because I, um, did you hear me when I was talking about how what their stats were as far as the benching? Uh, 585 for a hawk and 630 for animal. Yes, and that was in one of the after mags uh, back in the 80s. And uh, how much? And, and Kyle, I know you're you're a stout fellow, and I know you've been lifting for a while. Um, what's your bench right now, if you don't mind me asking? Bench is three twenty-five. Yeah, and see, and that's not easy either. So, to give people an idea on the bench, um, percent of lifters can lift their body on the bench. And I, I I did it once when I weighed about 235. To lift twice your body weight, which hawk being 285, animal being close to three, twice your body weight, you're in the rarest of rare territories. Yep. So do you know what the world record bench is right now? Right now? Um, I don't know. I know Ted Arcidi used to hold it at 705, but that was you know, 30 years ago. Reported bench that I'm aware of is 1,036 pounds. Oh. Ooh. So I, you wonder, um, you're talking about accolades and things they've accomplished if they were exclusive into just working out what they would have got to because uh as i believe it was hawk that said it that wrestling is an upper body business baby it absolutely is they and did um, a whole lot of bench presses, a whole lot of shoulder presses, a lot of a lot of arm work. And you you've seen the DVD um, that the WWE put out around 2005. Life and Times of the Road Warriors. Yes, and at one point, Animal actually showed what the shoulder shrugs were. And I don't remember how much he had on there, but um, it was enough to be impressive by itself. But for him, it was lightweight. He said, yeah, that's only about 105 there. Tried doing it with, with two and a quarter. And what and got it, me with is not just the, uh, the gym weights, because there's a lot of people that can lift gym weights. It was how they shoulder pressed uh, wrestlers with relative ease. Um, animal with Arn Anderson, who was 250. They got up the Warlord and Barbarian, who were heavy boys. Yeah. And two other guys that were just nothing but muscle. The Nasty Boys are another one that come to mind. Yeah, two guys that, who were definitely not muscle. 
right, fluffy. Yeah. And, and the the ease in which he could perform a power slam. Oh, Adamo had one of the best power slams in the business, bar none. Yeah, the only ones I can think of who even come close are Goldust, um, Cody Rhodes, you know, and well, Dustin Rhodes, and you know, Goldust and Cody Rhodes, and Randy Orton. But, but um, going back, go ahead. The thing, what was supposed to be a rumor, because that's where they were built from. They actually met in Minnesota. In Minneapolis. And the story goes that Hawk was the tough guy at one school. Animal played football at another school, but Scott Norton was the tough guy on his side. And that they each heard about the other um, by fighting people and by running the streets in Minnesota. And they were both ended up getting the jobs at Grandma B's as bouncers as they were training. And then I got to the point where I said, Hawk uh, had actually gone to Canada. He actually started wrestling there as Crusher Von Haig. And Animal ended up going to Georgia, uh, down to Atlanta, and he was wrestling as just the Road Warrior. Right. And Hawk ended up joining him, and they became the Road Warriors, plural, and, of course, named themselves um, Animal and then Hawk. And they did, they weren't wearing the face paint just yet. They were kind of looking like bikers. Um, and then they started experimenting with the face paint um, to the, uh, the point there was actually a few designs that they had. And well, go ahead. You think about this. Um, Road Warrior Animal was actually going to quit wrestling and had went home as a biker and Ole Anderson got the idea to team them and bring them back to Georgia as a tag team. Yeah. And the no selling, just go in there and beat you up. And if you watch some of their early matches, if you can find them, you could tell they were green because the stuff they did especially Hawk, I mean, and I'll just go ahead and say it, was kind of sloppy. And they weren't taking care of their opponents, probably the way they should have, and yeah, it was a squash match. But at the same time, I mean, they almost looked kind of reckless. Um, but, I mean, of well, course, they they honed their craft as time went by, and they are also – they won the national tag team titles uh, in Georgia their first match. They weren't smartened up to the business when they were training. Right. They thought it was real. And they would potato each other. And Oli, being a tough guy, Oli liked that. That made them different. So he told them to beat up the the enhancement talent. Yep. That's what they were there for. And even when they were, they had Paul Ellering as a manager for a little bit, but then they decided they don't, they 
had an angle where they beat him up, but then they brought him back, and that's when they were the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors, because they also added Jake Roberts in the spoiler as part of the Legion of Doom. And this was right about the time, because I had actually heard of them um, when I, not long after I first started watching wrestling, you know, when I was about uh, nine or ten, I was about ten, and they would be on the Mid Atlantic shows sometimes, yeah, because they they were starting the partnership with Georgia, but they would be on the shows sometimes, and I and but it was not all the time, and and I don't know if you're going to say this, yeah, they introduced me to Black Sabbath too, so you know I have them to thank for that, um, but then they left. And the only way I knew where they went was through the magazines. That's what I found they went to the AWA. Of course, me being a kid, not really getting, it was they were from Minneapolis. The AWA is based out of, you know, or was based out of Minneapolis. And so it made sense. I mean, they were going back home. You know, can't get mad at them for that. And they won. Huh? You brought up Animal Child, James, there. Mm -hmm. He, He was already a father. So he needed to – he wanted to go home and be around his kid a, a bit. And the AWA, if you think about it, this would have been, what, 80, 84, 85? Yes. And the AWA, the, these were the last truly successful years of the AWA because they yeah. – We're on on the downslope after Hogan left, and they bring in these hometown boys, the the Road Warriors, and, man, getting to watch those matches on ESPN, they beat up everybody. And that didn't really happen in the AWA. The AWA was a wrestling-based realism product. Because that's the way Vern Gagne wanted it. He didn't like the entertainment aspect of it. And he thought everything should just just been just the scientific wrestling, not understanding that you can't have everybody go in there and do the same match over and over and over again. Headlock, armbar, headlock, armbar. Whoop, uh, he's working on the leg. Headlock, armbar, headlock, finishing move done. And there's sometimes their finishing move would have nothing to do with the headlock and armbar they kept putting them in. And, you know, he, um, so when the Road Warriors came in there, and Animal actually talked about this, they put them against the Fabulous Ones. And this is after Hawk and Animal had won the uh, the AWA World Tag Team Championship from Crusher and Baron Von Roschke. And so Vern said, okay, you know, after they held it for a while, he's like, all right, the Fabulous Ones are going to be going over the Road Warriors tonight. It's like, do what? And the fans would have just crapped all over that you know and that's nothing against the fabulous ones i mean steve kern and stan lane were a good team but it wouldn't have made sense and so animal said you know hawk one or two in the, at the beginning of the match and they were kind of you know jawing at each other but hawk told him for real he said we're not going for the finish and so they ended up doing a double disqualification instead and Vern got pretty mad he said nobody's ever changed the finish on me and hawk said well we just did because it didn't make sense to have them lose the titles yet. But no. I, 
I do remember when they did lose the titles finally to Jimmy Garvin and Mr. Electricity, Steve Regal. Not the same Steve Regal that, you know, became William Regal later on. Totally different guy. But I want to say there's like three different guys named Steve Regal in wrestling. But, yeah, Jimmy Garvin, that's the name. He's in the Hall of Fame as, you know, a free bird, which, you know, take it for what it is. I mean, some people, you know, um, don't exactly care for that. But, but do you remember the name Steve Regal? Not that Steve Regal. I'm thinking Lord Stephen Regal, but it's not him. But it's but it's not him. This this Steve Regal was actually American, and how they beat them. Animal picked up Jimmy Garvin to do uh, either a backbreaker, but somebody picked him up. Michael Hayes comes off the top rope um, and hits him. You know, knocks basically almost like a tackle, but he hits like he hits Jimmy in his back, which knocks him down onto Animal you know, for the pen. Uh, and that's how they ended up getting the titles off of the Road Warriors, um, you know, without making them look too bad. I mean, it had to be a screw job type of finish. But one of the things I do remember while they were the AWA Tag Team Champions was the very first Great American Bash. They came to Greensboro or Charlotte, whichever. Yeah, I think it was in Charlotte, actually. They came to Charlotte to wrestle the NWA Tag Team Champions at the time, Dusty Rhodes and Manny Fernandez. And, you know, it was a title versus title. Of course, every time they had, you know, any kind of cross-promotion thing like that, title versus title, nobody ever won. You know, it was always a double DQ or, or a DQ or something. But that was like one of the only times you could actually see the Road Warriors uh, during that time. And, of course, once they lost the tag titles in the AWA, they ended up going back uh, to Mid-Atlantic. And, you know, in between shots that they were doing in Japan. Of course, now they came, when they came to the NWA, they started feuding with the Russians. And I want to say Barry Darso was still part of the Russian team as Crusher Khrushchev, you know, their, their friend, you know, from Minneapolis. And th- this was the best because you have the Road Warriors as both a tag team, a two-man tag team, Hawk and Animal, and then you have the six-man tag team with Dusty Rhodes. Yes. It seemed like they would alternate NWA championship with the six-man titles. They were always holding some sort of gold. Deservedly so, too. But one of the things that I remember seeing this when it happened, but I've yet to see it. In fact, I think I've even looked for footage. You can't find it. Was when the Russians hung Hawk with using the chains because remember they always had those the, the you know the Russian chains. They wrapped the chains around Hawk's neck and threw him over the top rope, and they were hanging him. Um, yep. And actually, one of the things I remember is. When they did that, you know, the video footage, the part of the chain that was around Hawk's neck was actually around the back of his neck. So, yeah, it still would have, you know, obviously could have hurt him. But then when they showed, like, the still photo, the chain all of a sudden had moved to the front of his neck. You know, probably makes for a better picture. Um, But you don't ever see, hear about that mentioned now. 
And that was a great feud because, I mean, you had the Road Warriors who were tough, and then you had the Russians, you know, who were like the ultimate bad guys at the time because that the Soviet Union still existed at least for another couple of years. And, you know, of course, the funny thing about that is, you know, you had Ivan Koloff, you know, who's actually Canadian, and Nikita Koloff, who was also from Minnesota. And right, one buddy. <laughs> you said what now? One of the buddies from yeah, Grandma. Another- yeah, another one of the plays. Um, but they had some great matches. But then, you know, of course, Barry Darso ended up leaving and going to WWF and forming Demolition with uh, Bill Eady. Right, but that's that's a, a later discussion for Road yeah. Warrior not us. Oh yeah, but the the fascinating part is they re- were dual duly contracted. They they got signed in what eighty six for uh, it was two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for two hundred and fifty dates. So they were guaranteed um, each uh, over a thousand dollars a match, mm. and they they say that it could have been 500000 So maybe for both, but really the one of the first guarantees contracts, because you got to remember that Hawk got money, Animal got the money, and then Paul Ellering was their real-life manager who booked all their trips. Yeah. And he got paid over a hundred thousand dollars as well. So they bankable bankable stars. And this is really they're the peak of tag team wrestling during the peak of tag team wrestling. And they ended up leaving uh, at this point, it, it started to become WCW when they got in a little bit of trouble for something that they did on TV. Well, not so much them. Well, Dusty got in more trouble, but but when they, they took out they, when they took out the spike and tried to take out Dusty's eye. Well, they they wrestled what they won the first Crockett Cup, mm-hmm. multiple time NWA Tag Team Champions. They won the scaffold match in 86 at Starcade against the Midnight Express. And they're feuding with the Horsemen, competing in the first War Games match, uh, defeating the Horsemen in Starcade 87. And then after that, they get into the NWA six-man titles with Dusty Rhodes. And... It, this is where Dusty kind of, I guess he got injured and Sting filled in for him. Believe so. Um, and they they turned on Dusty for not making the uh, not making the match. And those shoulder pads legitimately took off a spike. And you know, Dusty, he he bleeded. 
Oh, yeah. And wasn't supposed to. And the the Road Warriors really got got sort of punished for it, but didn't. But with Dusty Rhodes being out as head booker, they end up losing to the Varsity Club in what eighty nine. Well, they they left they left WCW in nineteen ninety, and this is when they went to the WWF the first time. And we've actually talked about this some. Uh, on our SummerSlam 1992 episode. Yeah, and they were, you know, of course, they were there for a few years. And, you know, at, at SummerSlam, um, where um, after the match, Hawk disappeared for a few days, and he basically was like, all right, I'm done, I'm leaving. And they left, um, they left WWF, and they were in more in Japan. And this is when Animal actually had to take a sabbatical for a while because of a back injury. Right. And they had um, Kensuke uh, Sasaki. He was kind of brought in as like a third road warrior in a way, but they were called the Hellraisers. Um, and this is for, for a little bit until Animal was able to come back. But I do have to tell the story about um, how I actually met them in Japan, um, sort of. But before I tell the story, (laughs) and I don't think I've ever told you the story, let's take a real quick commercial break. Okay, and we're back. All right. I've never told you the story about how I – kind of sort of met the road warriors in Japan? No, and this would have been before we actually met. Yes, oh, this is a few years before we met. All right, so it was around late April, early May of 1996. I was stationed at Misawa Air Base, Japan, which is up in northern Japan. And I was going home on leave. I was going to North Carolina to my dad's house. And, you know, of course, uh, I have to go down to the Narita International Airport down in Tokyo. And at the time, I smoked, and I was sitting there in the smoke area, and I was talking to another American guy who was in the Army. You know, I just met him there. We are just, you know, just sitting there chatting. And I said, yeah. And I said, sometimes there's wrestlers, you know, that come over here. It'd be kind of cool if we saw any. And right about the time I said that, here comes walking by Hawk and Animal and Dan Severn. Dan Severn was actually with them. And I was like, oh, that's cool, you know, so we walked out, and I was talking, I was like, yeah, maybe I should, you know, try to, you know, get their autograph or something. And I see them, and if you've ever seen um, enough pictures of Hawk and Animal outside the ring, like if you, if you saw in the magazines, they they always wore some kind of head covering because of their haircuts. You know, Hawk with the, the double mohawk, Animal, you know, with the mohawk, mohawk, and of course they didn't have their face paint on. But, I, you know, I still recognize them, especially since the fact that Animal is wearing a hat that says World Championship Wrestling. Um, and I believe Hawk is wearing a T-shirt and was for a gym in Minneapolis. And I was walking up, and I was just going to, you know, just say hi, you know. you know, I didn't know if I was going to get the autograph, and I was just kind of, you know, kind of awestruck. I felt like the uh, biggest mark in the world. Right as I walk up, 
this shocked me more than anything else. Hawk lights up a cigarette. I mean, and he's right there. You know, he's not in the smoke area. I mean, he is right there right by the entrance where you get on the plane. And Dan Severn wasn't flying. He was just, you know, this this was pre-9-11 where you could actually accompany somebody all the way to the, the gate. But he's right there, and instead of higher, you know, you're the road words, and the first words that came to my mouth were, dude, you can't smoke here. And Hawk didn't even look at me. He just said, are you airport security? And I was like, no. You know, and that's about, you know, best friend. He's like, well, I'll wait for them to tell me. You know, and Dan Severn, he kind of looked at me. He kind of laughed a little bit. You know, and the Army guy, you know, he starts laughing at me, too. He, he's like, man, you know, basically you're an idiot type of deal. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's well, a lot of crap you're getting. Yeah, you know, and then, um, well, the plane was going to Seattle. You know, that was the first stop, and, of course, they were on it. And, you know, they then they call first class, and they get on the plane first because they had that kind of money, and I didn't. I was a lowly, you know, E-4 in the Air Force at the time. And, you know, it was going to Seattle. The next stop was Minneapolis. And when I got to land, I was there thinking, oh, crap, they're from Minneapolis. I wonder if they're going to be on some – yep, there they are. And there they were sitting there waiting to get on the next layover. So I stayed behind them the whole time. They never saw me. <laughs> but, but, yeah, it just um, – yeah, the words came out of my mouth. Dude, you can't smoke here. And then he landed at U Airport Security. And then, of course, later on you find out Hawk had all sorts of issues, you know, with substance abuse. And he also had an issue with his temper. And he would have messed Steve up pretty bad, and he put, probably could have broken me in half and put me in the trash can if he wanted. You would be making French fries at Burger King the rest of your life. If that. And, yeah, but, yeah, that's a, that's the story of how I kind of sort of met the Road Warriors and Dan Severn. You know, I'd throw him in there as well um, because of me and being stupid. What's sad is uh, in our in that, that day, what the best type of camera you could have had was, what, 35 millimeter? <laughs> Maybe. I should have went and grabbed it, you know, if I, I don't, I probably didn't have any yen in my pocket. I didn't even think about, you know, going and getting like a disposable camera, you know, and I'm, and I'm pretty sure it was Japan. So I'm pretty sure they had one in a vending machine somewhere because that part, that, that is true. You can get just about anything you want in a vending machine in Japan. But anyway, I digress. Um, but you, you think about that, that, that is the best that you could have, you could have gotten. Whereas now you're, camera is better than most the camera on your phone is better than anything we had available to us until we were well into our 30s yeah (laughs) and the go ahead the, the way in which you have challenged life uh, almost like you didn't want to go home and visit your stepmother or something. <laughs> oh, you had to you had to go there, huh? All right. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah. So, 
and then later on, I was actually kind of saddened to find out about all the Hawks' issues. But really, but when I found out about his problems, was after he and Animal had become born again Christians, and that's right. when it, you know, because um, I mean, I saw some of the the storylines before where they said, yeah, he had a drinking problem, blah blah blah, and had him falling off the the, the Titan Tron and. You know, where Draw supposedly, you know, pushed him, and then they'd kind of grown their hair out. It didn't look right, you know. Um, and But I was happy that he was able to overcome it, you know, and I was happy about the choices he made later on in life because I don't know if, you, if you've seen um, Dark Side of the Ring, the episode they had about, um, about Hawk and Animal. Yeah. Yeah, and Animal had said that once Hawk did become a born-again Christian, all of a sudden the people who he was hanging out with before, I guess like the bad element, you know, the bad influences, he just completely cut ties. And that's something that's hard to do. I mean, a lot of people don't realize, I mean, that's, you know, because these are people, you know, people that you may consider a friend. I mean, you, you know, um, but he actually completely cut ties and, you know, he married his uh, wife, and of course, you know, um, later on, you know, when he ended up passing away, I mean, he had already done so much damage to his body, you know, from all the drug use. And uh, an animal was never known, at least not that I know of, um, to be, you know, like the drug user that Hawk was. And it may have been because animals was thinking, well, one of us has got to stay level-headed. Well, we he- both we both can't be messed up like this animal is a person and and that's where they differ hawk was into that lifestyle and experimenting with things and the party animal was more into hanging out and then working out and sleeping family and, man. yeah more more of a family man than than hawk was and faithful faithful to his spouse as far as we know, like we never heard anything bad. Well, I know that Animal and the mother of James Laurinaitis and you know, and his daughter, um, they actually ended up getting divorced later on. Um, and I wanna say I think Animal actually had another kid even before James was a totally different woman. Uh, but I mean, I can't. I don't remember. Not so. I mean, if, if I'm wrong, then you know, I apologize. But um, but I think he might have. But um, yeah, but yeah, Animal always seemed to be the more level-headed. And later on, I mean, Animal actually had his own podcast, but he he uh, he was very infrequent. You know, as to when he did his episodes. Right. He. I, I'm not the biggest fan of his co-hosts. I don't even, I mean, it's been so well, it was so long ago that he put out his last episode. I don't even remember who his co-host hey, is. Hey, um, animal, just a, a logical thinker, pretty good with his money. And like, for me, animal invested in Zubas pants. Really, and I—I don't know if you remember that from the the late oh, '80s. I remember Zubaz pants. I didn't know Animal invested in them. 
he they want made he and Hawk he made millions of dollars because they owned Zubass at the peak of Zubass pants. And I had my American flag Zubass pants <laughs> when I I was in eighth grade. I had a pair of gray ones too. They were the the hit. I, I'm pretty sure they were comfortable. Well, they were built with baggy baggy for for weightlifters. They were very loose around the thigh, and they had different types of prints. But of course, they they hand them out to all the wrestlers. Get a couple football players involved. Then it hit the bodybuilding, the weightlifting community. I know I had an uncle that sold a bunch out of his gym. Like Zubass pants, they they were the thing. And that was a hawking animal that had that. And um, later on when they came back, you know, because Hawk, you know, he was gone for a while. And he, like I said, you know, when he did become born in Christian, when they finally did come back, and it was, um, that was just one of the moments, the pop, pop, you know, came up. And then the Road Warrior pop, you know, they, they set the bar as far as that goes. Um, nothing, nothing compares to a Road Warrior pop, even Hulk Hogan. Yeah. I mean, when, and dude, think, think about the impact, you know, all the other things that, where they impacted wrestling as far as, like, tag teams, as far as, like, just brutal powerhouse, just beat you down tag teams. And... Later on, when they started throwing other moves in there, I mean, they were doing drop kicks. They were doing uh, – actually, one of my favorite moves of theirs was like that flying shoulder tackle. Animal they, – they were both legitimate athletes. Yes. And, and the the big difference, yes, they were weightlifters. Yes, they had muscles for days. But both could could move in the ring. Hawk was a high flyer, 285. They they both wrestled Ric Flair for the NWA championship as individuals. They were incredible. And unfortunately, non-duplicable because you can find two big muscle-bound guys. And... I think uh, the Powers of Pain, which was the NWA version to recreate the Road Warriors with Warlord and Barbarian, who did not get over because they were not agile wrestlers. They were not agile human beings. Right. Demolition was closest. They were smaller Smaller version, same style, smaller version. Of and then, the and then much, and then much later down the road, you had the Ascension. Yeah, I know the well, Ascension. They ended up becoming glorified jobbers there before they left the WWE. But same thing, you know. Well, uh, just take take away the muscles, but the makeup and you know, just kind of the look was based on the Road Warriors. You can't forget that the Blade Runners were the UWF version of the Road Warriors. Yep, and they both, 
you know, of course, they had their own connections with the Road Warriors later on. Um, with Rock, um, or yeah, Rock becoming you know, Blade Runner, Rock becoming first the Dingo Warrior, then later on the Ultimate Warrior. Well, they had the Survivor Series match. It was him, the Road Warriors, and Kerry Von Erich, who was known as the Modern Day Warrior. And of course, then Flash became Sting. And of course, I mean, and if you don't know about Sting, you know, well, um, you're probably not a wrestling fan. And or at least you haven't been one for very long. And so it, they always have tried to recreate the Road Warriors. And you can't do it. You know, you just can't do it. You could put all the makeup on them because um, the Barbarian, when he first went to, was Mid-Atlantic still at the time, the Road Warriors were in the AWA, and Barbarian, when he came in, I'm looking going, this guy looks like a shorter version of Road Warrior Animal. And like you said, he wasn't as agile. I mean, he could do some stuff. Don't get me wrong. The Barbarian, I mean, was, was good in the ring, but he always looked, you know, stiff. And not like stiff, you know, where they were potatoing people stiff, but I'm talking about he just looked stiff the way you move sometimes. And the Warlord was, I mean, just huge and jacked up, but they he kind of had a little bit of face paint, you know, but it wasn't – they would always be looked at like they were Road Warrior clones, just like Demolition. Same thing. You know, big guys, muscle-bound guy. well – Bill Eady wasn't really known for muscles. I mean, he was big. He was a, a big boy. I mean, he was thick, but, um, but it was like the WWE's or WWF's own version of the Road Warriors. So, from uh, honestly, their if you think about it, their run at its peak was eighty three from the start to about ninety two when Animal got injured, but. Is there any human being, to include a singles wrestler, that had a better run than the Road Warriors? You know, I don't even think Flair's run uh, could compare, because you know, um, because like Barry Darso said, they started at the top and went to the top. You know, they started at the very highs you could go and then just kept going and going and going. It kept growing. And they have influenced so many other wrestlers uh, just with their moves and the the, the tag team moves and the and brutality and the, the no-selling, which, you know, not every wrestler can get away with no-selling. You know, so you have to be able to um, be in a special class to be able to do that. You, I couldn't go in there and start no-selling. They'd go, really? But you probably could because, you know, you can bench press – over 300 pounds. But the legacy they left were everywhere they went, they were successful. Everywhere they went, people were copying them. And like you said, the one of the biggest bars was the Road Warrior Pop. You know, if you can get a, a, that big of a crowd reaction, bigger than what they had almost every time they went to the ring, I mean, I don't, I don't think it could be matched ever. They got away with no selling because they were legitimate tough guys. True. And the hard thing is, what 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 could anyone do to stop them? 
Like the only person that you've ever heard has, has gotten into it with Hawk is the Macho Man. Who won that one? And, well, they they each punched each other, knocked each other to the ground at different times. Um, Macho Man more of a sucker punch, but still, that that's the only story. Hawk fought for fun. Right. That's what I'm saying. Looking back later on, I should have just offered him my own cigarette. You know, said, here, have this one. You know, here, have my shirt. You want my shoes too? Here, take them. Because he could have just left me laying, laid out right there in the Narita International Airport. And it hit me. It's like, they're not going to say anything to him because they know who he is. Yeah, and who's going to stop him? Like, yeah. Really? You know, like I said, I mean, he was always looking to fight somebody. But, oh, great, 24-7 championship just changed hands, uh, well, twice in the past five minutes. Granted, I'm about 30 minutes behind, but anyway. Um, and and I, I bet once was with the roll-up. Yep. The most devastating move in WWE. At least for the you know the WWE twenty four seven roll up championship, um, <laughs> you get a sister Abigail from Bray Wyatt and kick out. But if you get rolled up, you're, oh, you're done. Going. You are done. Oh, they're going to have a twenty four seven championship triple threat match later on. Oh, oh, that makes my head hurt. Anyway, well, it's time for it is time for a commercial break, and we're back. So, so, can um, you name an area outside of Minneapolis or Robinsdale, Minnesota, that has produced more wrestling talent? Um, I will actually throw my um, my place down as the state of North Carolina. And granted, I am kind of biased towards that, and. Um, but I can also name you quite a few uh, wrestlers and some, you know, one of the biggest names ever in wrestling, or at least involved with the wrestling industry, was born in the exact same town I was born in. So, But trained but, and came out of Minnesota. You talking about Flair? In Minnesota. Oh, I know Flair's a Minnesota boy. I'm talking about Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon was actually born in Pinehurst, North Carolina, the same place I was born. Um, but I'm thinking um, you have Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning. You have Rick Rude, Scott Norton, Tom Zink, Hawk and Animal, Darso. Barry, Barry Darso, Nikita Koloff. Um, Brady Boone, I don't know if you remember him or not, but he was another one. He got killed in a car wreck, unfortunately. John Nord. Yep. It, it is another one. Like, leg- legitimately, that area, what, what a boom for wrestling talent, but boy, do they die young from, from that group. You know, we were talking about John Nord not too long ago, and I recently found out, I believe he is in 
a nursing home because I think he, I want to say, uh, let me go verify this, but I want to say he actually has um, Lou Gehrig's disease. Wow. Yeah. But you have John Nord, Scott Norton, uh, Dorso, and Nikita Koloff. That is the only ones left from that group. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've just verified it. John Nord was actually supposed to be in jail um, because felt for driving while intoxicated or in the car. But I guess he had multiple instances of that. But the judge, um, instead of you know, basically he sentenced him to the assisted living facility because he's going to be there the rest of his life because he has uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, um, you know, ALS, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. And yeah, I pronounced that word right. How do you like that? Um, but, but yeah, Greg Gagne, like I said, Kurt Henning, um, yeah, and, and with Animal leaving us, yeah, that was one, I think that one's, um, also pretty shocking because it was just all of a sudden, you know, cause I started seeing the tweets and I, I texted you and I texted, you know, what, another one of our buddies and I was like, Hey, you know, I'm seeing reports that animal died. And Wait, which is, huh? so is his last tweet is, well, I guess it's good in a way. It was an but, anniversary message to his wife. Right. So it might have been their anniversary that night, and he passed away. Or sleep. they they really haven't come out with how he died yet. I just know. I mean, it's you know a shame because I think if Animal, I don't think he would have gone back to work with the WWE because Animal is also part of that lawsuit. Um, and you know you know how Vince is. I mean, from a, and from a business standpoint, I'm I can't blame him you know you have people that are suing you well you're not going to want to employ those people later on right um but i mean, i do think animal if he wanted i mean like i said i mean he was already independent well independently wealthy because wealthy wealthy because of the investments he had made earlier in his life um i'm pretty sure he's still getting uh, residual checks from the wwe um, for a lot of the videos and merchandise and things like that, because if you can sell Rover's merchandise, it's pretty popular. You know, you're not going to not sell it. Um, and you know, but he, if he wanted to go to work for something like AEW, you know, as a consultant backstage or a trainer, um, he could have easily had a job. You know, but you know, I think he was just kind of taking it easy. You know, join his his grandkids, and that's just well, one thing. The thing to me is the thing about the road. You know, one of the road warriors being a grandfather. Well, a grandfather, and he was doing a little work with the NWA, the Billy Corgan group, and it just that that has kind of fizzled out during COVID, but. 
Yeah, that that was one on the wrestler death list. You do not expect to hear Road Warrior Animal. No. Well, and, you know, we were talking about his son, James Laurinaitis, you know. Now, while James did not become a wrestler, and he became a pretty successful football player, there are other wrestlers whose parents or parent, or maybe both in some cases, were wrestlers. So next week, Kyle, we are going to be discussing the top ten second-generation wrestlers. And when we say second-generation we don't mean, you know, well, they were also a third generation. No, this is strictly second generation. So we already know there are certain names that, uh, while they were very successful, they were not second, but they were third generation wrestlers. So, yeah, you and I will discuss this earlier. So, like I said, next week, top ten second generation wrestlers as decided by Kyle and myself. Do you have anything else to add? No, it's going to be an interesting discussion. And as always, um, I'll go ahead and plug us again. If you'd like to get a hold of us for any reason, email us at armchairbookingpodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash armchairbookingpodcast, all one word. Hit us up on Twitter at bookingarmchair. We're on iHeartRadio, we're on Stitcher, we're on Apple Podcasts, and we are on Spotify. Did I miss anything, Kyle? I don't believe I did. Okay, you still with me? Yeah, I think you covered everything. All right. Um, so, um. And I have to admit, my friend, this episode I thought would be a little bit harder to get through just because, you know, anytime somebody passes like that, especially, you know, so unexpected, um, even if we didn't know the person personally, you know, we actually grew up watching him and, you know, having a lot of respect for him. And for him to leave, leave us, you know, relatively young, you know, still shocking. So thank you for doing this with me, Kyle. I I really appreciate it. It, Tough discussion, but our favorite wrestlers are starting to pass away. They are. All I can say is God bless Animal, God bless Hawk for entertaining us for so many years and being the inspiration to a lot of the other tag teams. That's it. Yep. See you, bud.